Well, well, well. Good morning, church. Oh, man. So good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, so good just to be gathered up here uh, as we step into the beautiful journey of um, being able to participate together in stirring one another up and spurring one another on toward love and good deeds, to uh, encourage one another all the more uh, as we live our lives and the day of Christ approaches. Uh, We get closer to it, and so we live it out. So good to be with all of you uh, this morning. We have an exciting morning ahead of us, as we always do, as we explore the wonders of God's Word, worship Him together, screaming and shouting His goodness to each other, uh, and experiencing the unfolding stories of people's lives as God transforms them. So uh, for those of you that don't know, many of you probably do, uh, some of you may not, we here at Mosaic have been on a journey uh, that uh, launched uh, around 2006 uh, for the last 17 years, traveling through the chronological historical unfolding story of Scripture. So the church is a little older than that, but really for the majority of the life of this church, that is what we've been doing. So we started in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, 17 years ago, and we have been following the historical unfolding story of God through Scripture, which means we haven't traveled book for book as they lay out in Scripture We have encountered the books as they lay out in history. Uh, And so we traveled through the Old Testament for a number of years and then entered into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, we learned there together as we traveled through the Gospels in singularity of who Jesus said he was and what he said he did and that he in fact is who he said he was and did what he said he did. And then we entered the book of Acts, which is the story of the early New Testament church, which is our ongoing story today. And we traveled through that. And as we were traveling through the book of Acts in its history, its unfolding historical story, as we encountered the letters that were being written during that time in history, we would pause and go and uh, spend some time in each of those letters. And that's what we've been doing. We got to the end of the book of Acts in terms of its history, and we have entered a season, historically speaking, where we are in the early 60s as far as AD is concerned. So we're in AD 62, 63, 64, this era in history. In AD 64, there's a fire in Rome. Nero blames the Christians, goes into a massive persecution. Uh, So we're just pre that unfolding time in history. But Nero is on the throne in Rome and persecution is getting trickier. So that's kind of where we're at. That also means that the letters we are dealing with today uh, are letters that are being written now toward the end of the lives of many of those writing these letters. Uh, And so uh, the letter that we're in right now, the second letter that Peter is writing to a group of churches, uh, we are in that stage. Peter is writing this letter 30 years after Jesus's death and resurrection. And so Peter has lived out 30 years of life since that time, and uh, he has traveled, he has, he has taught, he has spoken, he has seen, he has learned so much over this time. He has already written a first letter a few years earlier than this, and this is now his second letter that he's writing. So that's where we are in the historical context. And, and it, is, it, it, it is helpful for us to remember where we sit when we're entering a letter, like the letter of Second Peter. 
Because I think oftentimes, because we're moving through scripture, we forget that decades have passed in the lives of the people writing these letters from where we may have encountered them before. So when we encounter Peter in the gospels or Peter in the book of Acts, he's a young man. He's full of that kind of zeal that also has a certain stupidity to it. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're just like so zealous, you say dumb things, you do dumb things, and they're out of a good place, but they're also just out of a a, a youthful lack of life and wisdom. And now we're not dealing with that Peter. We're not dealing with a Peter that is in that space. Same Peter, same personality, similar zeal, perhaps some stupidity like we all have, but now a, a depth and a clarity and a maturity that is different. And so we need to enter this letter kind of with an expectation and anticipation of some things. And there's other things about this letter that are extraordinary. So you've got a Peter now uh, who has also seen some things and, 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 and taught some things over many, many years. Peter has watched by this time after 30 years, uh, he has watched the church of Christ rise against Rome and its v- vengeance and forcefulness rise against the religious legalism of religious institutions of the day and its force against it. He, ha- he was there when James wrote the letter many, many years before this saying, boy, it's shaky, but God's church will endure. He has seen things. He has lived through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Then the experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. Then the experience of the gospel going out. He has watched dear friends die because of their faith. Stephen was stoned. James's head got chopped off. I mean, he has watched disciples lose their lives because of their faith and many others. This is a different Peter. And he is writing a letter now toward the end of having traveled and taught and written many, many times. Also, remember, Peter is in Rome. He is uh, pastoring the church in Rome. The other guy that's in Rome at this time in history is Paul. Paul is under house arrest in Rome, sort of on and off, also waiting for trial. And Paul is writing a bunch of letters to the same churches that first, uh, first and second Peter are written to. And Peter is privy to those letters. Peter and Paul were hanging out in Rome. I so wanted to be in those cups of coffee. And so when when Paul is wrestling through what he's writing to the church in Ephesus and Ephesians or how he's unpacking for the church in Colossae and Colossians or what he's unpacking for the church in Philippi and Philippians, he's having conversations with Peter. And so Peter knows what the churches have received. He knows what the churches have learned. He knows what the churches have available to them. And it is different than when you're writing your first letter to a bunch of churches that don't know stuff. You're not writing to those churches. You're writing to churches with history and depth that have some longevity in their knowledge and obedience at this point. And Peter also, like we found out last week, is acutely aware of the fact that his life is going to come to an end soon uh, because of revelation that he has received and because of something Jesus told him a long time before this. And so he senses this, this is it. In fact, in the passage we're in today, he literally says that. He's like, I know God has told me my life is coming to an end very soon. So these are probably my last words that I'm penning to you all. So boy, what a letter to pay attention to, right? 30 years of maturity in history and life and experience. Uh, churches with lots of knowledge, uh, a last word type of letter. 
And so we enter this letter with great anticipation going, Peter, what do you have to say to us about this? So with no further ado, let us grab our Bibles and go to the book of 2 Peter. Um, and we are going to be in verse 12. Since we've been in 2 Peter a couple weeks now, we are in verse 12. If you have your Bibles, grab them, go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, or on your smart devices. If you have one of those little books that you take notes in that we have here, now's the time to open up because we're about to get into this. So buckle on up. So here we go. Okay, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Let us begin. It starts with, therefore. So we should stop right there because that's a really important word. Um, therefore, whenever you counter the word therefore uh, in a passage of scripture, or frankly, in a sentence, what do you always immediately do? The word therefore, what do you do? You pay attention to what was just said, right? That's the intent of the word therefore. If you say therefore without having said anything previously, it gets super weird, right? Have you ever had someone walk up to you, uh, bump into you as you're out and about and they go, therefore, how are you? And you're just like, hold on, time out, what did I miss? Because automatically you're like, you wouldn't start the sentence with therefore if you had nothing before that. You might say, since I bumped into you, therefore, how are you? I mean, it'd still be a tad weird, but at least you'd be like, you're asking about how I am because you bumped into me. So whenever in scripture you see the word therefore, stop and make sure you have just read whatever came before because the author's intent is to say, what I am about to write is in direct response to or directly connected to what I just wrote. So what did Peter just write? Uh, he has done his greeting and then he traveled into what we discovered last week was an unpacking of the extraordinary nature of the gospel that we are recipients of. And he unpacked it in some beautiful ways that you can go and podcast from last week. And then out of this gospel clarity, he talked about a way of life that we should engage in a way of thinking about life that is necessary and frankly, the only logical response to a clarity of the gospel. And he talked about living a life of virtue that leads to knowledge, that leads to self-control, that, that, that leads into godliness, that leads into brotherly love, that leads into love, this, this, this whole like, this is the way of followers of Jesus. And this way that we live is not an obligation we feel toward God because if we don't, he's gonna be mad. And if we do, he's gonna be happy. And then we get what we want. This is our response of worship. This is our response of clarity out of the gospel. If this is who God is, and this is what he's done for us, and then this is his way, what kind of an idiot wouldn't live his way? That's how we should feel. That's how I should feel. I'm not judging you. I'm saying I should feel about myself. What kind of an idiot would know all that? And then go, I'm going to do it my way. And that's what Peter's trying to say, right? And then what did he say? He said, look, this is, this is a tremendous reality because for those who choose to live God's way in response to the gospel, fruitfulness and, and, and life and light and freedom are yours and for those around you. And for those of you that decide knowing the gospel, belonging to God, that you don't, you are so nearsighted, you're blind. 
And not only are you nearsighted and blind, but this is complete foolishness that leads to disaster. So can you sense Peter's urgency, right? It's like, wow, that's a big deal that we would remember the gospel and then we would live in it. So Peter says, in, in light of this that I've just said, therefore. Now what you ought to be doing, like me, is going, what's the, what comes after the therefore? I mean, that sounds like a really big deal. This stuff he said is a really big deal. And now he's going to say, so because this is a really big deal, I'm going to do something, says Peter. Therefore, I'm going to write something to you. Let's take a look at what he writes. So, since all of this is a super, super big deal, and it's a, it's a part of our life, therefore, I, Peter, intend always to remind you of these qualities. Huh. So here's Peter's response. Here's the gospel. Here's the way of life we should live in light of the gospel. So here's what I'm going to do in light of that. I'm going to, for how often and, and, and in, in which ways? What's the word there? Always. I love the way Peter writes that. He didn't say, because this matters and because this is important and because it's clearly the way of life. You can sit by the swimming pool when you're in the kingdom of God or you can snorkel in the awesome waters of God. I want you to snorkel since that really matters. And if you're like, what just happened? You didn't hear last week's message. Go podcast it, right? So if, if that's what I'm doing, man, I'm going to sometimes with some of my time remind you. He didn't say that. I'm going to, with most of my energy, no, no, he didn't say, what did he say? I am when? Always. If you're with me and I'm with you, if you're reading something I wrote, if you're hearing something I'm saying, what am I doing? I am reminding you. I am reminding you of these things. I am reminding you of what you are recipients of. And I am reminding you of the way of God so that I can remind you to live in it because I don't want you to be so nearsighted that you are blind and forget who you belong to. That would be crazy. So what am I going to do always? I'm going to remind you. Now there's two important words here. Always is an important word because it ought to tell us if Peter thinks it important to remind us always, then how often should we do the reminding toward each other? Always, always right? And interestingly enough, what I find fascinating is that Peter here writes, I'm going to always remind you. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Remind. Because you would think Peter's going to say, uh, therefore, I'm going to continue to teach you. And that would not be inappropriate. Peter is continuing to teach. I will continue to show you new things. I will continue. To, but he says, what I'm going to do in response to what I've just written is always remind you. Well, when we use the word remind, we are suggesting that what I'm telling you is not new. You guys are so good today. I love it. Come on now. Let's, let's have a conversation, right? If I'm reminding you of something, it is not new to you. It's not new to you. And Paul, uh, Peter's saying, what I'm going to spend my time do is, uh, doing is reminding you, which means what I'm telling you, you already know. Take a look. He actually says it. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Watch this. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. What a beautiful reality is unfolding in this letter. What Peter is saying is, 
I'm not writing you a letter with a bunch of new stuff. I don't have a bunch of new stuff to tell you. The gospel is the gospel. You read my previous letter. You read Paul's letters. You've read John's letters. You've read lots of stuff. You know this stuff. What I'm here to do is to remind you of it, which should be an incredibly encouraging thing that there is not an exhaustive reality of stuff we need to know in order to live out the way of God. Once we know it, what do we need? Lots of reminders. That's right. Lots of reminders. The beauty of the gospel is as we understand more of its expansiveness, more of its depth and height and breadth and beauty, more of its wonder. Yes, there's always more to know, but it's not new as much as it's just more, right? We live in a strange culture. Pay attention now. I love when God's kingdom culture goes nose to nose with our world culture and goes, no, I don't think so. Our culture, the one we currently live in, has made the assumption that once something ceases to be new, it's old and therefore irrelevant or unimportant. Doesn't have the same importance. Everything needs to be what? New. We look for new things. I want a new video, new knowledge, new insight, new epiphanies. I don't want to come to some place and it's repetitive. I don't want to come to some place and it's the same old, same old. I want new stuff. And we are obsessed with the new as a culture. We always want it to be new. And we especially are obsessed that once we have something established, in other words, we know it, we understand it, it's part of our deal, then we need to stop paying attention to it because we've already established it. And God comes along and goes, that's not how you humans work. You all are like sheep. You know the shepherd, you know the field, and the second you stop staring at the shepherd, you run to the first shiny thing off a cliff and die. Was that dramatic enough? And so what God says to us is, you don't get it. The point of biblical community, the point of being together, the point of gathering together, the point of engaging in each other's lives is not so much about discovering new things every day as much as it is being reminded of the things that you already know, that you are already established in, so that you won't forget who you are, become so nearsighted that you become blind and sit by the swimming pool when you're on the island of snorkeling wonder. And so Peter's like, so here's the deal, man. Since all this is true, I, for one, am going to spend every bit of energy I have to do what? Keep reminding you how often? Always of what? The things you already know and are established in. This is how we're going to roll. It, it ought to be something we kind of go, huh, that's it's not what I expected. I wanted to come here to the church so I could discover something exciting and new. But what this is telling me is I'm coming here to really be constantly reminded of what I already know. Might I discover some new things? Sure. I mean, it's wonderful that there's so much to discover. But that's not the point of us gathering. The point is to be reminded. Now, take a look at what Peter says here. I think it right, as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. So now another layer to this wonderful reality of what we are to be doing with and for each other that Peter is saying, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. He's going to remind us 
of the things we already know all the time that we're established in. And why is he doing such a thing? To remind us so that we will practice them. Well, certainly he wants us to practice them, but that's not the point. The point is that when we live God's way, the result of that is love toward God, toward others, toward each other. And love brings life, light, and freedom, not death, darkness, and bondage. And so actually what this is all about is stirring us up or making us awake to who we are, who we belong to, and why we're here. This word, word to stir up, is literally a word in the Greek that means to to wake up or to make awake. Uh, Danny, who is one of our pastors here and primarily shepherds the Disney campus, he was telling a story on Monday as we were talking about the stirring up word that means to wake up. And he was talking about one of his daughters, uh, or or rather not one of his daughters, his daughter. uh, He has more more than one kid, but not two daughters. And so... um, his daughter would come crawling to bed with him. You know, when your kids are little and they wake up at ungodly hours that no human should be waking up at and they are like ready to rear and they're like, let's go, let's go. I don't know what you're doing, adult, but you seem to be laying in your bed as though you're tired of some kind, but I am not tired. And because I need you to engage with me, you are waking up right now. And then what do we do strategically as parents? We come up with a million ways to try to settle the kid down and have them fall back asleep because we want them to get enough sleep. That's our heart. No, because we're like, just, just sleep. Cause I'm going to die. You went to bed at like 7 PM. I was up till midnight cleaning up after you. So right now you're sleeping and then you try and you try and it just doesn't work. And so Danny said, so what my daughter would do is I'd snuggle up and, I'd, and then she would, she would reach over and take my eyelids and like open my eyelids and like look in and like, dad, dad, I want to go play. And he's like, that's what this word means. It's, it's like when we come to each other and we got our eyes half closed and we're half asleep and we've half forgotten who we are in Christ and we've half forgotten why we're here and we're all caught up in the circumstances and we're trying to build our little safety nets and we're trying to do our thing. We walk up to each other and we pry the eyelids open. We're like, hello, hello in there. You seem to be a little nearsighted. You're moving toward blindness, in which case you're going to live by the pool instead of snorkeling. Come on now. So what Peter is saying is, What I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing in light of the gospel and in light of the life God calls us to live is I'm going to keep you awake. I'm going to keep you awake. You already know. I don't need to tell you. I just need to what? Keep you awake. And so here's what we are to do. Peter says, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what we are to do. Take the things we already know that we're established in. Remind each other of them. How often? always so that we can keep each other awake. It's not complicated. And Peter says, that's what I'm going to be doing. So count on it. And in fact, here's the cool part. It's not what he's going to do after he writes this letter. It's what he's doing in this letter. This letter is not a letter with a thousand new things that he hasn't written. This is a reminder of the things that these churches already know and are established in. And he's doing it because he wants them to be awake, stirred up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me. Now, here's the crazy part. 
Peter is now literally writing, it's been made clear to me that very soon I am going to die. So I am writing this to remind you of these things because I'm going to die. Again, just a reminder, when somebody says what I'm doing right now, I'm doing because I know this is the last thing I'm going to do. How much stock should you put in what they're trying to tell you is important? A ton of it. And this is inspired by who? The Holy Spirit written by who? An apostle of Jesus. So when you talk about wisdom and you've already got apostle inspired by Holy Spirit, and now you've got apostle inspired by Holy Spirit, clear that he's going to die and literally saying, these are my last words. You pay attention. And here's Peter's big epiphany on his last words. I'm going to spend everything I got left reminding you of the things you already know so that you can stay awake and live it out. There it is. Yay! Peter here also sets something up that causes us or should cause us to kind of sit back in awe a little bit of what Peter's already written. Because we could read like, really, Peter? I mean, virtue with knowledge, with self. I mean, does that, does, does that really lead where you say it leads? Remember I told you early on when we started, this is a different Peter writing this letter than the Peter we encountered in the Gospels. So here Peter's saying with this deep sense of absolute contentment, almost like it's a nothing. Hey, just so you know, I'm going to die soon, just like Jesus said I would. I'm ready for that. I'm just going to spend the last little bit of time I have doing what? Reminding you. That's what I'm going to do until I'm out. And why am I reminding you of these things and, and so content that my time, time is over? Do you remember the Peter that encountered when Jesus first told him he was going to die? That Peter, what he was like? Let me remind you in case you've forgotten, because you might may have forgotten. John chapter 21, right? You're like, oh yeah, John chapter 21, I got it now. Maybe not. Okay, so let me remind you of John chapter 21. There's an encounter in John chapter 21, starting in verse 15, where Peter has denied Jesus during uh, his, his whole trial. And now this is after the resurrection. Jesus is on a boat. He arrives on a beach and Peter's there with some of the other disciples, right? And he's having a conversation with Peter. And here's what he says to Peter. Peter, uh, I, I know we, some things went down that were a little, a, li a little out of control for you. And you're, you're full of like, I don't know who I am anymore. So let me ask you, do you love me? And what does Peter say? Yeah, you know I love you. And he's like, okay, then do what? Feed my sheep. Like, like go to my people and, and, and feed them. Take care of them. Shepherd them. Feed them. And then he says to Peter again, Peter, you sure you love me? Peter's like, you know I love you. And he's like, okay, great. And I do. Then do what? It's the, same, it's, it's, give you, it's the same thing. Feed my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus says to Peter, are you like, you sure, sure you love me? And Peter's like, yes, you know I do. Why are you asking? And I've always said in the past, he's asking because Jesus was sure Peter loved him, but Peter wasn't so sure. And he needed Peter to be sure. So he's like, I know you do. So since you love me, feed my sheep. Three times, feed my sheep. So he basically says, here's what I want you to do, Peter. You love and follow me. Now go to my people and help them love and follow me. There it is. And then he says, so follow me. That's how he ends that conversation. Super cool, right? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. But right before he finishes with, so follow me, he tells Peter he's going to die. Kind of an odd conversation, isn't it? He's like, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep because you love me. By the way, you're going to die for me, so follow me. 
And he, he has this, and the Bible actually says it. We're not guessing. The Bible actually says, Jesus says this thing to Peter about him being poured out. And then the Bible says, he said this to him because of the way he was going to die. So Peter knew it. So you know what Peter's response to Jesus saying, you're going to die for me, so follow me is. Peter's response is what a young man's response is so often in those circumstances. It literally says, the Bible says, Peter looked around at the other disciples, wondering who was going to betray Jesus. So first he's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die for Jesus. Woo, I wonder who's the person that's not going to do that, jerk. And then the next thing he says to Jesus is, what about John? Is he going to die too? Like, it's just so, like, Peter's like, I don't, I don't know if I like this story. What about John? What, what's his story? And what Jesus says to Peter is, John is my concern, not yours. You be concerned about you. Does this sound familiar, parents? And then you see Jesus parenting his disciples, right? We're not going to be comparing and contrasting right now. We're not going to be concerned about all the other children and the decisions I clearly make that are unjust and unfair to poor you because you are the victim in my home of the Cinderella story while your other siblings get the world. <laughs> no. I'm telling you what's going to happen with you. That's the Peter we encountered back then. And now we have this Peter sitting here with deep, you can almost feel it, joy and contentment just as Jesus said it would be. I'm going to die soon for him. We know from history that shortly after the writing of this letter, Peter is convicted and he is going to be crucified. And he actually says, I, I don't want to be crucified in the same way as Jesus because I just don't feel worthy of that kind of death. So would you crucify me upside down? And Peter dies on a cross upside down. Who does that? I'll tell you who. Someone who has followed Jesus for a long time and seen the fruit of that long obedience in the same direction. We have a man here who is not writing as a youthful person who's guessing at how it's going to go if you follow Jesus. We have a man here who's saying, Jesus said I was going to die. The time has come. So I'm writing my last words to you. And as I do, here's what I want to tell you. I'm going to spend every breath I have reminding you of the things you already know so that you can stick to them like I did because it's worth it. Because I'm here now at the end, not the beginning. And life and light and freedom is mine. I want it to be yours. And then he says this. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Literally, Peter's saying, you know what? You know what? I take it back. I'm not simply going to use every breath I have until I die to remind you, I'm going to write this stuff down so when I run out of breath, you can keep reading my words and be reminded. And the book of Second Peter has been reminding followers of Jesus of the things we already know and are already established in for thousands of years. And Peter continues to feed Jesus' sheep. Now, here's the crazy part. The crazy part is that as we read this, it may seem at first, and rightly so, because in this context it is, that this is Peter's calling as an apostle, having been told by Jesus to feed his sheep, 
to us, right? And so we might not assume that we ought to be doing the same thing. We might assume that we are the recipients of being reminded and Peter is the one doing the reminding. You with me so far? So we might say, I'm so glad that I get to gather up and be reminded by Peter and others like him that are the teachers and leaders that are to remind and shepherd, except that there is more to scripture than one letter. And around the same time, there is another letter written called the book of Hebrews. And the author of the book of Hebrews unpacks like the book of Romans does an intricate and extraordinary unpacking of the gospel that I cannot wait to go preach through. It's going to be insane, but we're not there yet. But in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10, uh, in response to this gospel unpacking, the author of Hebrews uses the same wording as Peter uses here for what he's going to spend his life doing. Listen to this. Chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, verse 19. Buckle up. This is your compelling invitation into being Peter and doing what Peter's called to do. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, I can't wait to preach this book. I'm not going to unpack all of that right now, but that is a gospel display. That is awesome. So since you belong to Jesus, have total freedom and belong to the kingdom of God, and you are totally free. Let us draw near, verse 22 with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So here's our calling. Hold fast to the confession of faith you have. But the question is, how? I'm a sheep. The second you tell me to hold fast, I stop holding fast. I'm like a two-year-old. Hold fast. You, you watch me. I'm not going to hold fast. How dare you tell me such a thing? How am I going to do it? And then he says, oh, I'm not done yet. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another, keep each other awake, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as the day draws near. This is the author of Hebrews telling us that Peter's story is our story. Our day is drawing near. We don't have much breath left because the time is coming where either you and I will leave the planet because it'll be our imminent death or Jesus will return. Either way, past 100 years from now, no one in this room's around. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. So he's saying this, since you have very little breath left, what should you do with all the breath you have? Always remind each other of the things you already know that you're established in so that you might be made awake and stay awake. Do what Peter did because that's what we've been commanded to do. If we are going to walk out the beauty and reality of God's kingdom, you better do it in community because there is no other way. You cannot sustain alone. The Spirit of God in you, the Word of God with you, and the community of God around you. This is what Peter's going to show us. Word of God, community of God, Spirit of God. Go. Remind each other of the wonders of the gospel 
and the way of God. Live in it. Keep the eyelids pried open. Stay awake. And may we together with every breath we have, how often remind each other? Always. Of what things? The things we already know that we're established in. And then we will live not as people who are nearsighted and blind and foolish, but as people that are awake and full of life and light and freedom, carriers of the gospel into our worlds, our homes, our marriages, our relationships, our friendships, our parenting, our honoring our parents. Go, kiddos. Uh, our fr- enemies, our world, the whole thing. May we do such a thing. This is the beauty of the book of Second Peter as it unfolds. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love for us and all that you are doing for us and in us and around us. May you graciously allow us to be a people that do not neglect meeting together, gathering together in our homes in this place and prying each other's eyelids open, stirring one another up toward love and good deeds as we remind each other always of the things we know and are established in and as we learn together of the new depths and breadths and heights and wonder of the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.